So if you could, just turn in your Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 14. That's where we're going to pick up, and we'll pick up from where we, where we left off last time at the end of chapter 13. Uh, and the apostles, as we're going through uh, the book of Acts, the apostles are seeing this promise in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, come to life. Like uh, Jesus, before, before he ascends into heaven, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so they are, they are being able, uh, the apostles are being able to see this come to life as the gospel is spreading uh, to the Gentile nations. So God is using Saul of Tarsus, this, this, par, this former persecutor of Christians, this guy who at one time wanted to kill Christians and wanted to persecute Christians for the faith. He's, he is using him to suffer for the sake of the gospel and, and to spread the gospel to to people who don't know him. And so uh, he is sent and proclaimed. He is, he is to be sent and to proclaim the gospel to many cities. And, and this is the, what we saw in chapter 13 was this first recorded missionary journey uh, among the Gentile nations. And so we're going to continue to see this, this today as we, as we go through chapter 14 and as this, as this missionary journey comes all the way around and, and finishes up back in Iconium where, I mean, back in uh, Antioch where they started. And so I'm going to encourage you with, with kind of the same thing that Blake said last time. I want to echo that a little bit. We're going to see some similar concepts, like some similar things that we've seen throughout the book of Acts. Like we're going to see the preaching of the gospel where Paul and Barnabas go in today and share the gospel in the synagogue and share outside of the synagogue. Like we're going to, we're going to see them preaching the gospel. We're going to see some come to know his name based on that, to know who Jesus is and, and to worship him and to praise him and even to be persecuted for themselves. And then we're going to see some who are going to completely oppose this and who are going to persecute the apostles, who are going to directly persecute Paul today and Barnabas. And then also we're going to see the perseverance of the gospel. We're going to see how the gospel, how the gospel continues to tread on through that and how Paul and Barnabas, by the grace of God, are able to continue to move on and continue to move from city to city preaching and proclaiming Jesus Christ. And so I truly believe that in this, this is a moment in our church where, where God is making our hearts sensitive through repetition, right? Through continuing to see over and over the gospel being reinforced and our focus being sustained on that truth, on the truth of the gospel, on the truth that he is a God. He is a God who is worthy of praise, that he's going to receive the glory that's due to him, that he, that he desires to be praised by all nations, and he will be praised by all nations, and also that we know that Romans 8 says that we know that for, for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. So if we're in him, no matter what circumstances come about, we can hope. We can hope in the fact that God is receiving glory through suffering and through the painful sorrow. Ultimately, it's for our good. And we, we can hope in that today and we can know that. And so the reality is that many of us, when we face a little bit of persecution, we're asking God why he's allowing us to go through these certain situations, right? Why he's allowing it to happen. And it's because we've pursued comfort and we've pursued safety more than we have the cross of Jesus Christ. And so for so long we pursue these things, we forget the fact that Jesus has actually promised us persecution, right? So like in John chapter 15, if you remember when we were going through the book of John, Jesus commands his disciples to abide in him. He says, abide in me. He says, just as the main vine supports the branches, just as the main vine supports the branches, Jesus supports us. He gives life to us, and without him, we can absolutely do nothing. And then he makes a promise to his people. He says, remember the word that I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And so this is a promise that we, that we receive from Scripture, that we receive directly from Jesus. And so if you recall in, uh, in Acts chapter 13, uh, Paul and Barnabas, they, it starts off with them in Antioch, in, in Syria, and they're with this, with this unique and empowered group of leaders, and they're from many different nationalities and many different places that God has placed for the specific purpose of bringing the gospel to the nations, of, of having a sending point or a, or a center point where they send out people uh, to share the gospel to, to the Gentile nations. And so these, these prophets and these teachers and, and these people that are, that are brought together, they're worshiping the Lord and they're fasting, they're, they're devoting themselves to God and, and to one another. And when the Holy Spirit 
tells them, the Holy Spirit comes to them and says, set apart Paul and Barnabas for this work of mission that I have for them. Set apart Paul and Barnabas to take the gospel to places it's never been before, to places it's never reached before. And so what do they do? They send them. They go. They go to Seleucia. They go to Cyprus. They go to Perga. And they go to Antioch and Pisidia. And in these places, uh, what they would do first is they would enter the synagogues of these particular cities, and they're going to preach the gospel, right? And so last week, Blake kind of walked us through Paul's message in the synagogue in in Antioch and Pisidia. In a similar way, uh, as we saw Stephen preach the gospel earlier on in Acts, before he was stoned, Paul preaches, and his sermon is just just continuously saturated with with who God is and and with the gospel. And so he's speaking to the Jews, and he's walking through Israel's history. He's laying in front of them God's grace after grace after grace along every step of the way for their ancestors, right? He led them out of oppression in Egypt. He put up with, their, he put up with them in the wilderness, in their unbelief, and in their trying to run from him. He gave them an inheritance. He gave them a land that was, that was plentiful in resources and that was, that was good for them. He gave them judges like to govern his people and to, and to care for his people. He gave them the king that they wanted, Saul. And they, you know, they so greatly desired a king, he gave them over uh, Saul. And then he raised up David, who was a man after God's heart, to, to lead Israel well and to care for Israel well. And most importantly, where it climaxes, where the peak comes, God's kindness to Israel and, and the revealing of his word to his people was ultimately fulfilled through the salvation that comes in Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul, that's what Paul says. That's what he's leading up to the whole time. That just as the scriptures foretold, Jesus was not recognized as a savior, but God's perfect plan unfolded through his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection in order to bring everything to Jesus Christ, in order to point all of, all of the Old Testament scripture, everything that you're He's saying to the Jews, everything that you guys have gone through, everything that your ancestors have gone through were to point to Jesus Christ, were to point to him as the Savior. And so he shares the good news to the people in verse uh, 38 of chapter 13. He says, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. So Jews... Believe in him. Believe in Jesus Christ. And just as importantly, the gospel is being revealed to the Gentiles, the one who were referenced in Ephesians as those who were far off, the ones who are not near to God. They are drawn near to God through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so this is something to celebrate. And so throughout Acts so far, when the, when the gospel is being preached, it, it's creating these different responses, right? It creates these polarizing responses. Like some would rejoice in the message that was spoken to them. Some would, would praise Jesus as a result and, and would come to know him as their savior and would, and, and would walk in faith. And then some are going to be filled with jealousy and they're going to they're inflict harm on Paul and on anyone else who would want to preach this gospel. They're going to they're gonna do their best to try to drive out this gospel. And so because of the persecution that they received from preaching the gospel, they, they find themselves being driven out of another city and going on to the next city and then driven out of that city and going on to the next city. And so where we pick up today, Paul and Barnabas, they're, they're moving on from Antioch and Pisidia to Iconium. And so uh, let's, let's pick up and read uh, Acts chapter 14. We're going to go verses 1 through 7, um, and then we'll stop for just a minute. It says, Now at Iconium they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to to Lystra and to Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. So the next place that they moved to is Iconium. It's uh, modern-day Kona. If you look at a map of Turkey, if you're one of those people like, like me that likes to see where, where things are, it's in the middle of Turkey uh, or Asia Minor, 
And it, it's a bo- at this point, it was a booming city. It was, it was a big city that was in the middle of this trade route. It's, it's a Greek city that was basically the regional center for everything that was important in those days, like agriculture, commerce, everything that was, that was important to those people. This city was kind of the, the center of that. And it was a Greek city. So when you think of this place, think of a, think of a big place, think of a big city. So what are Paul and Barnabas going to do immediately when they get to a new city? They're going to do just like they did before. They're going to go directly to the synagogue, and they're going to preach the gospel. Which is, from what we see, it's probably really similar to what we saw last week in, in Antioch, when Paul, is, uh, when Paul is talking to the Jews and urging them to believe in Jesus. And he says, because the Scripture says that they spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. So they spoke in such a way that brought about change in people's hearts. And through the Holy Spirit, they... Uh, they were able to, uh, to see people come and know Jesus through that. And so, but just like other places they've gone, some of the Jews, some of the Jews that were hearing this, that were trying, that were trying to take in this gospel, they, they, were not, they weren't going to have that. And so over time, Scripture says that the Jews got the Gentiles stirred up, and, they, and it says that they actually poisoned their minds. But it, but it took a little while for this to, to kind of come about, Right? And so this didn't get to like a life-threatening or a serious level for Paul and Barnabas there for a little while. So they were able to keep on and press on, and, and they took advantage of every opportunity that they had in order to continue to preach the gospel in that city everywhere they went. And so what, against what some would consider better judgment, they stayed for a long time in that city. They stayed for a long time uh, so that they could keep speaking boldly for the Lord, and actually the Holy Spirit was granting them the ability to, do, to perform signs and wonders by their hands. And so people were able to see the, the gospel not only changing hearts, but, but being able to, um, they, they were able to see people being healed because of it, because of the Holy Spirit, and people uh, rejoicing in that. But then it's going to catch up with them, Right? And just like we've seen before, the Jews had poisoned the minds of the Gentiles so much that some had turned away, had turned away from the faith, had turned away from what, from what Paul had preached to them, and they were beginning to devise ways to try to stone Paul and Barnabas. Well, thankfully, by the grace of God, they, they find out. They find out about this, and then they want to move on to the next town. They, they move on to the next town before they're actually killed. So sometimes the best way to communicate the gospel was to remain and to continue to preach, even through persecution. And sometimes God gave them an opportunity to get out to where they could live to preach another day, to where they could move on to that next city and continue to preach the gospel. So uh, picking up back again in, in verse 8. We'll keep going. It says, now they move on to Lystra, or Lystra next. It says, now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garland to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and they rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In the past generations, he allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples, when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. So uh, 
So we've got a lot of things going on here, right? The first thing that we see is the, is the Spirit. He's continuing to work through, through healing as this man who had literally never walked in his life. He's now given the ability to walk. He's, give, he's given the ability to stand up on his feet uh, because of his faith. And then out of absolute ignorance, these, these Gentiles, the, these people that are, that are here and watching this happen, they're going to they're gonna react completely wrongly to this. They're going to interact interact with Paul in the, in the absolute wrong way. You see, these people, they were, they were heavily influenced by, this, by Greek mythology. They, remember, we, we talked about how this was a Greek town. They were, they were heavily influenced by Greek mythology. And Ovid, who was the Latin poet, he had actually written uh, about something saying that the Greek gods had, had descended to this area before, had, had come down to this area before, and that they, they came and they looked like men. And so, like, everybody had rejected them except for this one couple. Like, the, these gods come down, and they look exactly like men, so nobody really pays them any mind, and this one couple takes them in. And so, a, as the story goes in, in the Greek mythology, because of this couple's hospitality, the gods rewarded them. They made their little cottage into a temple, and then everybody else who was not, uh, who, who didn't, except the gods and who didn't bring them into their house, a flood came and wiped all the rest of them out. And so these people, when they, when they hear this story, they, they know this story from, from generations past, they see that Paul and Barnabas are healing these guys. They don't want to miss out on this. Like they, they don't want to leave any room for doubt. If there are gods coming down to here, then we want to, we want to take them in and we want to offer them any type of sacrifices that we possibly can so that they'll look upon us with good. And so uh, they worship them. They, they bring them... Uh, they try to bring them sacrifices. They try to immediately offer sacrifices to them. But uh, they, call Paul, uh, they call Barnabas Zeus, who is the king of the gods, the god of law and order and justice. And then they call Paul Hermes, like the messenger of the gods, because he was the, he was the speaker. He was the one that was talking to everyone. But Paul and Barnabas, they, they didn't speak the language. They didn't speak Lyconian, so they probably don't know what's, really know what's going on at first. Like, they're, they're being worshipped, but they're, they're not really sure what's going on. But then they realize really quickly when the priest of Zeus, the person in the town that was appointed to, uh, to offer sacrifices to, to Zeus and, and to care uh, and to perform these sacrifices, uh, they show up with some garlands and they start trying to put garlands around their neck. And then they show up with, with oxen and they want to sacrifice oxen for, for Paul and Barnabas. So immediately they realize it at that time. And they run out into the middle of the crowd and they tear their clothing. They tear it out of, out of sorrow. And they take all the means necessary to urge these people to turn from their false gods, from the, from the gods that they've created in their minds to the true and living God. And so I'm going to stop here for a second. This crowd that's, that's worshiping Paul and Barnabas is, is just as much of an opposition to the gospel as it would be the crowd stoning them, right? Wanting to stone them. I know, I know we look at this and we're like, well, at least, they're not, at least they're not trying to throw stones at their head, you know? At least they're not trying to kill them. But this is just as much of an opposition to the gospel. Worshiping multiple gods and worshiping gods that are, that are made up, that are false, that are not real, this is just as much opposition to the gospel as people persecuting people for the gospel. And so this type of opposition to the gospel is, is something that should probably hit home for all of us uh, in some way because we've, we've been here before. Whether we want to admit it or not, we may not have been a part of a physical assault to stop the advancement of the gospel, but we have definitely taken part in our own idolatry. Like we, we have been idolaters similar to what we see in Acts, and it is detrimental to our witness as believers. Like in the book of Romans, Paul talks about God's wrath being poured out on the ungodly because he says they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. And so that's exactly what's going on here. And Paul and Barnabas are, are urging these people to turn to the one true God. Like these false gods have never done anything for you, but this, this one true God, he loves you and he cares for you. And so Paul goes on to preach this, this little mini-sermon, and he's, he's standing outside of the synagogue. He's talking to the, to the Gentiles, and he says, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you. 
Paul says we're not gods. In fact, we're not even divine men. There's nothing special about us. We're ordinary men that are just like you. And we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Remember, he's speaking, I love when Paul does it, he's speaking to a different audience here. He's not speaking in the synagogue to the Jews. I love that, that he's empowered by the Holy Spirit and he recognizes this so well. When he speaks, he is appealing so well with those with which he is speaking, with the, with the Gentiles that he's talking to. He's not going to reference God as, as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And he's not going to point to Jesus through Israel's history because these people probably are not likely versed in Old Testament Scripture. They don't understand a lot of this stuff. But instead, he's going to focus his attention on God as the Creator. As the, as the one who created and as the one who sustains. And so uh, he created the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. He created and therefore he has authority over everything that goes on. He has authority over, over their lives. And they, know this, and they know this to be true. And Paul says that God allowed the nations to go their own way. And again, he would say, he's going to say later on in Acts chapter 17 to the Athenians, he says that he overlooked their time of ignorance because he had not fully revealed himself to them yet, right? He had not fully revealed himself to them through the, through the blood of Jesus. And so he, was gonna, he overlooked a lot, of the, a lot of the things that they did in the past. But they shouldn't have been so ignorant, right? Like they should have been able to see what God was doing, right? Because he's providing, he's, he's revealing himself through creation and everything that goes on. He's revealing himself through through common graces that they get to see every day. Paul proclaims that God was really behind all of the good things that they had taken for granted, like all of the things that they see on a, on a daily and weekly basis that they take for granted. He gave them the certain weather in each season, just the right amount of rain and sun and the correct temperatures so that they could effectively plant their food, so that they could grow their food, so that they could harvest their food at the right time. Like he, he gave us seasons so that, so that they could harvest their food and so that they could enjoy it. Like so that they could live and be and have food and be happy. God gave them all that. And that's what Paul's pointing them to. He, fills, he filled their hearts with food and gladness is what he said. The one true God did that. And Paul's saying, turn to this God, the only true God. Your gods are not gods. Like they're, they're empty. They're empty figures of the imagination. They've done nothing on your behalf. They've done nothing for you, but my God has, prog has provided grace to you even when you didn't deserve it, even when, even when things were, when you weren't recognizing him or honoring him, he was providing grace to you over and over and over. Turn to him. Let his grace lead you to repentance, to turn to him. And this is the beauty of the gospel, Right? This is the beauty of, of what we see every day, that we can turn from our fake, useless idols that we worship. Like we worship idols all the time, and they're ultimately not going to satisfy us. Like we think the reason we worship idols is because we think that they're going to satisfy us more than God does. But believe this today, they will never fully satisfy us. They will never bring us they will never bring us satisfaction, but we need to turn to a God who is merciful, who gives us breath in our lungs on a daily basis, who provides us grace upon grace upon grace that we don't ever deserve. So we can turn to that true God. We can trust in his son, Jesus, who humbled himself as a man to defeat sin, to show us the will of the Father and to demonstrate God's love for us. That even while we were sinners, he died for us to be the perfect sacrifice once and for all. He died for all sins, past, present, and future. And because of what Christ has done, because of his work on the cross, we can experience the Father's full forgiveness. He has forgiven us. He has forgiven us of our wrongdoings. He has forgiven us of our sins. We can be set free from the slavery that sin binds us with. We don't have to worship those false idols anymore. We don't have to continue to run back to the things that are, that are killing us inside, the things that can never satisfy us. But we can be free from that sin and experience eternal life through Christ. That's the beauty of the gospel. And if we are in him today, we receive constant grace as we're being sanctified. We're being made into his likeness. We are being made like Christ. 
He promises that he's not going to leave us, that he's not going to forsake us, but that his, his spirit lives in us. And he teaches us his word. He, his, he teaches us his word. And, and, and um, John chapter 17 says that his, his spirit guides us in all truth. He gives us the ability to know what is true and what is not true. And he's promised, he's promised that we're, if we're in him today, that we have an inheritance in heaven that is imperishable. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more. Uh, that's one of the things that drives Paul, that, that, that you can tell through Paul's writing just continues to drive him on, on and on. But even with Paul preaching this to these guys, and even with Paul sharing uh, that they need to turn away from their false gods and, and to worship Christ, worship God, the 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 true God. When Paul's saying this, it, it still doesn't keep the people from worshiping them because they saw what, what miracles they had performed and the things that they had done, and they, they still wanted to worship them. And so verse 18 says, even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifices to them. And then probably, just like we see in Iconium, Paul and Barnabas, they're going to stay in, in Lystra for a time, and they're going to faithfully preach the gospel. We don't, we don't know how long that is. We don't know what, what time period that was. It could have been months. It could have been days. We don't, we don't really know. But they stay in Lystra and preach the gospel for a period of time. But then, just like we saw in the past story, but then the Jews, they come from the other cities, from, from Antioch and from Iconium, the places that they've already been. And they're they're catching up with them. And so they come from these other cities and, and they convince the Gentiles again that what Paul and Barnabas are preaching is false. They convince them again. They poison their minds into thinking that, that the true gospel is not really the gospel. And so now in one verse, they, the, it must have been a pretty convincing argument is all I can say because from one verse to another, they go from worshiping Paul and Barnabas as gods to trying to throw stones at their head to kill them. And so when they had beaten Paul's face in, like when they had thrown stones enough to where they thought he was visibly dead, they decide to drag him out of the city and they, they leave him for dead. And so that's what, that's what happens so quickly Paul and Barnabas are being, being worshipped. They're being, they're being praised as, as gods falsely. And then all of a sudden, the Jews come in, they convince the Gentiles otherwise, and they try to stone him. That's the kind of stuff that Paul is continuously going through. That's, kind of, that's the kind of stuff that, that continues to catch up with them as they're preaching the gospel, as they're in the middle of God's will. But by the grace of God, the disciples... Uh, seeing, seeing that Paul had been stoned, they, they come and they gather around him. And because, uh, and, and because of just, just only the grace of God, he is able to sustain these things. And he's not dead. And, and he gets up and actually goes back into the city, goes back into the city where he was just stoned from. He goes back into the city, and then they move on the next day to the next town. It's amazing. So we're going to, uh, we'll, we'll tie in the rest of chapter 14 in just a few minutes, but, but kind of as I was studying and, and praying through this passage, the Holy Spirit, uh, he kept, I mean, you keep seeing that theme of perseverance, right, through this passage. And, and in nearly every city, the commonality is that Paul and Barnabas, they have to endure trials over and over and over, probably to the point where this has become a normative practice to them. This has become more normal than being safe or being secure, like, this has become their way of life, continuing to go from city to city, seeing people come to know Jesus and, and, to, and to worship him and, and to follow suit in their suffering for the sake of Jesus, but then also being persecuted, continuously being struck down and, and, try, and people trying to kill them at every turn and every corner. But so when I'm, when I'm looking at this, when I'm seeing this, I, I just... I have this obvious question that keeps coming to me. The, the obvious question that, I, that I'm trying to explore through Scripture is how does Paul, how does Paul and Barnabas, how do they continue to endure these major obstacles day in and day out? How do they continue to press on when things are getting more difficult, things are getting hard? It, Paul came to a point where he was close to being killed, just about as close as possible as you could to being killed. How do they continue to, to endure day in and day out? 
And then also, how does this even relate to us? Like, what, what can we draw from this? What can, we, what can we take from this passage of Scripture? And so just reading through Paul's epistles and reading through a lot of the things that he wrote to encourage believers and, and the things that he wrote to his church, uh, I saw a few things that, that I want to point out today that, uh, that allow him to be able to push through this persecution. Number one, uh, he understands, right? He understands that his endurance has a greater purpose than just his individual suffering, right? It's, it's, it's greater than just, than just him being killed for the sake of the gospel. It is an opportunity to put on display the death and also the resurrection of Christ. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, verses 7 through 12, uh, if you want to turn there really quickly, or if you can look up on the screen, uh, it says, Paul says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. He says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. Did you catch that? Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. So what's Paul saying here? He's saying that while he is suffering and while he's being sanctified, while he's, being, uh, while, while he's suffering in this life, he's afflicted in every way. He's perplexed. He is persecuted. He's struck down. He is a walking advertisement of the death of Jesus Christ. He gets to share in the sufferings of Jesus, and he gets to point the world to the fact that Jesus died for our sins. He, he's, a, he's like a billboard. He's an advertisement for that. And in the same way that his afflictions magnify the death of Jesus, his perseverance in the trials, his, his ability to get through those trials, his ability to, to make it out on the other end for the sake of the gospel, they point to Christ's resurrection power. Christ has power, and he is resurrected. He, is, he has overcome the grave. Because Christ lives, Paul is not permanently stuck in any of these situations, right? He may be afflicted, but he is not crushed. He may be perplexed, but he is not driven completely to despair. He may be persecuted, but he is not forsaken. And he may be struck down, but he is not completely destroyed. Because Christ rose from the grave, effectively defeating death, and he was raised to the Father's side, his followers are able to persevere for faith. They're able to display the power of his resurrection. And so let this be an encouragement to you in this room today. Like when you're, when you're facing trials, when you're enduring hardships in your everyday grind, you are, you are literally advertising your faith in Christ's death on the cross, that his death is, is sufficient for, for covering your sins and for, and for taking that for you. You're sharing in his hardships. You're, sh you're sharing in the suffering of Christ. And also, through your weakness, you are boasting in the power of Christ's resurrection. That because he has power over death, because Christ has, has power completely over death, he gives us the ability to sustain those trials, no matter how difficult they may be, no matter how difficult things come. He gives us the ability to sustain those trials. Not that he's going to remove us from those trials, not that he's going to take us completely out of those trials, but that we're able to display his glory and, and his mighty resurrection power through that. Number two, uh, another reason that I, that I see Paul is able to, to endure su suffering and persecution is that he keeps his eyes fixed on the future promise of glorification. He keeps his eyes fixed on the fact that that God is going to glorify his body. And so when he's writing to the Philippians, uh, he is discussing being resurrected from the dead like Christ. He's discussing uh, what it looks like to, to, to be resurrected from the dead like Christ was. And he says in chapter 3, verse 12, he says, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, 
forgetting what lies behind me and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And then in verse 17, he says, Brothers, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly and their glory, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship, talking about believers in this room, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. The prize that Paul is pressing on toward is our bodies being glorified as we spend eternity with Christ. Like the the day when Jesus comes back and glorifies our bodies. This is what we live for. This is what our hope is set on. We're looking forward to the day that when we can enjoy him forever while we never cease praising him. That's what we're looking for. That's what we're striving towards. And so Paul encourages those who are reading his letter to imitate him as he presses on toward obtaining this goal, as he presses on through persecution for the prize of glorification. And the beauty of this passage is that Paul says that it's, it's something that we have to continue to push towards, right? We have to continue to strive towards it. He tells us that we must run the full race and keep the faith in order to obtain this prize. Like we, we have to push on and we have to press on through persecution. But at the same time, he promises us that Christ gives us the ability to have that endurance, to make it to the end if we're believers in him. So something that we must obtain On our own, from what he says, he also gives us the ability to do. We must push on for the sake of the gospel. We must persevere through through hard times, through struggles, and through persecution. But if we're in Christ today, he gives us that ability. He gives us that ability to be able to push on and to be able to strive uh, for glorification. And so Christians in this room, like people who who identify with Christ, whether you're struggling through, through sickness, through, through difficult times at work, for, through a rut in your particular ministry or, or in what you're doing on a weekly or daily basis or your small group, through struggles in your marriage, I, I want to encourage you today to keep pressing on, keep pushing on, continue to fight for joy through your sickness. If you're sick, fight for joy through that. Have those difficult conversations that expose sin in your community groups. Like even if it's hard, even if it brings about a lot of tension in your group, it may be a means of God's grace to sanctify those that are, that are with you, that are walking through life with you. Like keep pushing on toward that. Continue to serve your wife or your husband with, with gladness. Like even if it's not reciprocated, even if you've endured for a long time and it's something that's, that's not brought back to you, something that that you don't experience yourself. Continue to serve them. Continue to push on. Show the love of Christ to your boss. Like, your boss, even when, even when you don't agree with the way that, the, that you're being treated as an employee, even, with you don't, even when you don't agree with, with something that's going on, show your, show your love of Christ to them. Continue pressing on through the situations that, that you're enduring daily, through the struggles and the hardships and all of the things that are coming. And at the same time, Understand that we've obtained a citizenship in heaven through Christ, right? That's what he promises us through this passage. And we can hope in the day when our bodies are going to be glorified. Like, we can hope in that. It's coming. And when Paul looks forward to that day, his sufferings, like the sufferings that, that, we're, that he's going through and that he's going to continue to go through in Acts, like, he's, he goes through some pretty bad stuff in Acts. And these things that we would think are just grueling and terrible, he calls them light and momentary afflictions compared to the glory, compared to the weight of glory that is, that is beyond all comparison. He, he says that in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, he says, these are light and momentary afflictions. These things are, are tiny things compared to the glory that we're going to receive in Jesus Christ. So that's what Paul's looking at. That's what Paul's looking toward. He's looking toward the goal of, of his body being glorified and in, in him being with Christ forever. Number three, his suffering, Paul realizes that, that in his suffering, it's not only for himself, but for the sake of others also. He realizes that, like when, he, when he's going through this suffering, that he's not just doing this in order to, to be sanctified himself, but it may, be bringing, it may be bringing grace to people around him. He may show 
the love of Christ to people around him through the way that he's suffering. In 2 Corinthians verse, uh, 4, 15, Paul says, referring to his suffering, he says, For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Paul is ready and willing to endure any hardships that he has to endure if it means God's grace leading, to other, leading others to thanksgiving, which would lead them to praising God. Like he is willing to, he's willing to throw everything out. He's willing to, to do everything that he possibly can so that others may receive, may, may be able to glorify God through that. He is going to suffer tirelessly. We're going to see it throughout the rest of the book of Acts. He will suffer tirelessly for the gospel for the sake of other people. And so do we think about that? Like, like do we think about the way that our trials, like the things that we're going through on a, on a daily basis affect other people? Like, I'll be honest, like, when I'm, when I'm stuck in something, like, when, when I'm enduring something, I'm not usually thinking about how others are going to be affected by me, by me going through my trials. But the reality is that your hardest days, like, through your toughest trials, the Lord may be using that to produce thanksgiving in others that ultimately draws themselves to Him. Like, they may, the Lord may be using your suffering and, and, your, and the issues that are going on in your life as a means of sanctification, as a means of drawing others closer to himself. And so when I look around this room, like right now when I'm, when I'm seeing the people in this room, I, I can say that I've, that I've been specifically encouraged by a lot of you. Like, like your walk with Christ through the, through the things that you've gone through in the past couple of months or in the past couple of years, it encourages me and it allows me to be able to worship God. It allows me to be able to glorify Him because I see the way that you deal with that and I know that that, that perseverance only comes from Him. And so I can worship Him because of that. So I'm going to encourage you to keep suffering, keep enduring for the faith, not only for yourselves but for the benefit of others. That's what we're here for, and which just completely goes into my next point. Number four, uh, Paul was able to persevere through these hardships because he was encouraging and being encouraged by his brothers and sisters in the local church. That's what we're going to see through the rest of this passage. Let's, let's pick up again in Acts chapter 14, uh, verse 20, and we're going we're gonna to finish out this narrative today. First, when Paul was basically stoned to the edge of death, who was there to meet him? His disciples. The, the, people, the people that were closest to him, the church, they were there to meet him when he was struggling through these things. And then in Acts chapter 14, verse 20, we'll continue on right there. It says, um, let me get to it. it says, but when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Paul and Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples." So as Paul and Barnabas are finishing up this first missionary journey, as they're coming around, uh, all the way back around to, uh, to Antioch, they're going to backtrack their steps, and they're going to hit some of the places where, they, where they've been heavily persecuted, right? Some of these places where, where they had almost been put to death, eventually making it back to Antioch where they began, right? And so Paul is, is enduring this, suffer, this suffering that he's, that he's going through. He's enduring these things for the strengthening, the encouraging, and the spiritual care of those around him, of, of, of the churches in all these cities. Like he cares deeply for the churches, and he wants these churches to be rooted and established. And so he's going he's gonna to tread back through these areas that are, that are dangerous to him in order to build up his church and to strengthen, and to strengthen the church of Christ. And so verse 22 and 23, they say that he strengthened the souls of the disciples, that he encouraged them to continue in the faith, and that he appointed elders to, to shepherd those churches. And so these people have been through some, 
some pretty rough times, like just like Paul and Barnabas had. Like just because Paul and Barnabas leave a certain location, it doesn't mean persecution of Christians is going to stop. Like maybe some of these people are, are new believers who have who have just come to faith in Jesus, who are who are enduring these hardships without some of the firm convictions that Paul and Barnabas have. And so God providentially sends Paul and Barnabas back. Like he sends them back through these cities for the encouragement of the other brothers, to encourage them that their suffering is necessary, like that it glorifies God and that it brings, it brings joy to the people around them. And so then they, they return to Antioch, and they're commended to the grace of God for the work that they had done, it says. And they were able to rejoice together at the fact that God had opened a door of salvation to the Gentiles. Like, they're, he's, he's coming back to, to this church that sent him out at first, and they're having a party. They're celebrating because of what God's doing in all of these places as, as they report what's going on from city to city to city to city as, as people are knowing and worshiping Jesus Christ. So if you want to see the vision of what we strive for in our church, like what we strive to look like and what we want our community groups to operate like, this is a perfect example. Like we want to, we want to be and we want to help establish effective leadership, right? That's, that's what our goal is. We want to establish effective leaders. We want to constantly strengthen and sharpen our brothers and sisters. Like we want to push each other toward endurance by encouragement. We want to encourage you today. And when good, thing ha- when good things happen, like when we, when we see things happen in our community, when we see th- God doing things in our church, we want to celebrate. Like we celebrate together corporately. That's what we're here for. So the local church, your brothers and sisters, we're here to help you suffer well. Like we want, we want to encourage you that suffering comes through being Christians. Jesus said that, that we will suffer just as he suffered. But we want to encourage you to suffer well. Like, we want to be with you while you're suffering. Use us. Don't, don't try to handle these things on your own. Don't try to do these things on your own. God did not intend for you to suffer in isolation. He did not intend for you to be by yourself in your suffering, but he wants you to lean on your brothers and sisters in Christ. He wants you to lean on them so that we can press on. And so Christians here today, I, I would... I would pray over and over and over that you place your hope in the one true God. And I hope that you would be encouraged by this. Uh, I'm going to read this one last passage from Romans chapter 4. And I, I, just, I, hope that you would, I hope that you would be encouraged by this, by what God has done for us and how we can press on uh, because of what he's done. Romans chapter 4, starting in verse 24, it says, It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Let's pray. God, we are, we come to you as undeserving participants, Lord. We don't, we don't deserve your grace. We don't deserve what we've been given, but God, you have given it to us freely. God, you offered up your son as a sacrifice for our sins. His atoning blood has allowed us to be able to be freed in Christ, freed from our sin, freed from our shame, and allowed to live a life that is glorifying and honoring to you. Father, we, we know that you've promised us that if we are in you that we'll face trials, that we'll, that we'll suffer for the sake of the gospel, that things, that things will happen that, that will produce endurance in us. And Lord, I, I pray that, that as we suffer that we, wouldn't, that we wouldn't turn away, that we would keep striving, that we would keep pushing forward, and that by your grace, understanding your grace, 
that we would be able to endure the hardships that are going to come. God, in ourselves, we have no power. We have no ability. But in you, we are, we are made strong. In our weakness, your power, Christ's power might be shown. So God, I pray that as we endure these trials, as, as we go through these certain situations in our lives that, that, we don't, that we won't necessarily understand at the time, Lord, we pray that others will be able to see our suffering for the sake of Christ and glorify you because of it. God, we pray that in our communities, in our neighborhoods, that your name would be made known, that, that through our generosity and through, uh, through the way that, that we worship you, God, we pray that others would, would see that and would be able to experience the, the hope that we have in Christ. God, we thank you that, that you have given us an internal, eternal inheritance. That in you, we can look forward to the day when our bodies will be glorified. When we will no longer be on this earth. When we are able to worship you and to praise you forever. God, I pray that when we're suffering through endurance and when we need endurance that you would continuously remind us of this. That we would consider anything in this life as light and momentary afflictions compared to the weight of glory that is coming. God, thank you for your love for us, that in our, in our weakness, uh, your power will be made known. That, Lord, when we, when we don't deal with things well, when we don't do things that that are honoring and glorifying to you, that you provide constant grace to us. God, help us to worship you today. Help us to honor you because you have taken on sin. You have taken on shame and you have justified us. You've brought us near to the throne of God because of Christ's blood. Thank you for that today, Jesus. We love you. In Jesus' name.